Welcome to the Loop Podcast. I'm your host, John Berg, Global Head of Paid at Cognizant, and I'm delighted to be joined by my guest, Edward from Supermetrics. How are you doing, Edward? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, and actually, I'm so excited because, uh, like, when I first invited you, you sent me that uh, brand case today, and I know that uh, we were supposed to talk about that later, but I'm so pumped to hear about that. And I think everyone deser- deserves to hear about it. Can you please explain that amazing brand case today that you conducted at Supermetrics? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a great one to start with. You know, I think you're going to love this. And this was by far the coolest experiment I've been part of. So yeah, the famous Supermetrics brand experiment. And I just want to give a bit of context. So we, had, I'd been at Supermetrics for a couple of years at this point and we'd scaled pretty quickly uh, and we were growing kind of up towards 30, 40, 50 million ARR. And the brand maybe didn't quite reflect where we were. I think a lot of companies saw us as, as this like market leader and uh, there were a lot of things happening in the background um, in terms of who we're targeting and, and where we're trying to reach in organizations. And we, we basically as a marketing team came back and asked ourselves the question, which all marketing teams ask at some point is, is the brand a, a reflection of who we are and where we want to go next for the for the next chapter of our growth and we just hired a cmo at that point and it was the right time to have that brand conversation um i i know every marketing team will will come back and have this discussion and <laughs> typically what happens when you have this discussion is that it's all opinion based because you can't measure brand right well that's what everyone says and everyone is thinking a different thing like i want to go in this direction i like these colors i like this visual identity and others are like, no, I think we should go in this direction. And when you have a CEO founder in the mix, which is quite common in, in SaaS companies, then they have opinions as well. And so you have all these opinions and, and no one really knows what to do. So we knew we wanted to renew the brand. We knew we needed to go in. Um, it was time to, to kind of move in another direction. And we had a lot of opinions. So in true supermetric style, we said, let's test it. Let's build an experiment. Let's, clearly define what we're going to do. Let's define what success looks like. And then let's use this data to help guide us make a decision because really that's why we marketers use data. It's just to have more informed decision-making so you can make more confident decisions to do what we need to do, right? Which is grow the business. And this is what we did. So we had kind of fallen into that SAS pastel cartoon trap where you kind of build these funny cartoon characters and there's lots of nice pastel colors and it's kind of fun. And that was a thing, right? I, I think particularly like a few years ago, which was fine. And it was definitely an elevation from our previous uh, brand identity uh, and it worked well. And, you know, we grew a lot during that time. So we could say that in a way the the brand move was a, a good way to go and it, it really elevated our brand uh, at that point. But what we did is that we said that we're kind of near, neither here nor there. We're, we're not really putting a flag in the ground. And so we said we should come up with two completely new brand identities for Supermetrics. One would be in in the sort of true to our roots emerging style. So we'd always been uh, kind of fun, playful, energetic, and we'd always been very approachable in that the buyer was typically the user of Supermetrics, particularly in the early days. We had like a really good PLG self-serve motion. We were growing in new markets and, and that had kind of worked for us even if we hadn't pushed fully in that direction. But then the other direction is that, you know, we were seen as the market leader. We were discussing with 
people in more senior positions in organizations, trust, security, that is key when you're working in, in the data space. And so what we did is that we said, let's create two brands at completely opposite ends of the spectrum. We're gonna make a super emerging, fun, playful, energetic brand. And then we're gonna create this super established, so very adult, mature, expert, trustworthy. And we have our existing brand, which was somewhere in the middle um, of the two. And we pushed super hard. And this was a really interesting experiment because I think as a marketer, you often create things that you yourself like. And so what I found is that I was on the, the established team and we had to come up with this like really like stiff corporate brand. And, and our CMO was like, <laughs> go as hard as you can. So we used jargon, we used ugly words. We used, you know, it was almost, <laughs> almost sort of satire, I think. Uh, of this like very corporate established brand. We had a very simple color palette, like red, black, and white, like that was it. Uh, so it was kind of interesting for yourself to just overcome your own biases. And then the other team, the, the emerging team, they went, you know, full on bright colors. And what we did is that uh, we said, we're gonna run nine tests across the funnel. And we did two at the top where we were gonna look at view and engagement rates. Uh, we then did three in the middle where we're actually gonna look on click-through rate as the success measure. And then we did two at the bottom. We actually built two live landing pages in these new brand identities where we're actually gonna look at conversion click uh, events. And then we did a, a two more. We did a brand lift and an ad recall test. And it was a crazy two weeks. We split the marketing team into two. Our creative team helped like build these new identities. We created all these campaign assets. And what we did is we tried to keep it a very fair test. So we said at each thing, we're gonna communicate exactly the same message in exactly the same structure, but we're just gonna change the visuals, the, the, the copy, the way we communicate this and the, the perception we're giving. And it was really interesting because we were kind of sharing updates in our company, monthly meetings and, and like weekly updates. And we in the marketing team, people were like, oh, I really hope this one wins. And I hope this one wins. And <laughs> we were discussing like, you know, if you're gonna make a bet, who, who's gonna bet on established and emerging and so forth. And it was really interesting because it was a complete landslide and the established variant won on seven of the nine tests. All of these were statistically significant. The emerging one won of the nine, but that actually was too close. It wasn't statistically significant. And we had one, one failed test, one no result. We actually thought we might get more than that. So that was good. Um, and we had a clear signal from the market that the established direction was resonating more with our audience uh, and then we said okay well let's double check this so then we did the next phase which was the we called it the canada smoke test so we took canada as a a relatively good test market and what we did is that we actually created a microsite in this new sort of established identity and it had like six or seven of our top like most visited pages and we pushed 50% of our paid traffic to our existing website and we pushed 50% of the traffic to this new microsite. We wanted to see, so how did these two compare? And it was again insane, this new microsite, it had six pages, but it was actually completely outperforming our existing like full-blown website. CPC was down, we were getting more traffic, there was more engagement, there was more event clicks. And so it was crazy to see the, the impact this had. We then extended that test to, to other markets and we had this very clear feedback from the market, just looking at the data, that this is the direction we should go with the brand. And what happened is that it was much easier for us to have these discussions with stakeholders. We said, well, yeah, you like this one, but the data is saying we need to go in this direction and this is where we're going. 
Um, so it's much easier to discuss with the CEO founder, the rest of the leadership team, with other people in the marketing team who maybe thought, oh, I actually think we should go in the emerging direction. Um, and then the other good thing is that it completely eliminated anxiety when we hit publish yeah. on the new site because I've been part of these rebrands before. I think everyone listening has probably been part of at least one rebrand, website renewal, you come on launch day and everyone's like freaking <laughs> out, like, is this going to break everything? What's going to happen to our funnel? Like, are we going to destroy the sales pipe for like the next quarter? Uh, but, but we knew we had confidence because we looked at the data and we said, you know, this is not just going to work. It's going to actually improve. Uh, so that was good and, and yeah, showed you can measure the impact of brands. So that's the sort of, it was a long answer, but that was the, the overall short, short summary of the Supermetrics brand test. And the whole plan, I think from start to finish, uh, it is a textbook or textbook of a well-executed plan. Like, uh, I just couldn't find any, uh, part missing, uh, and now that you decided to uh, go with the established identity, uh, have you updated all of your website or are you going to be updating uh, gradually? Yeah, so what we did is that we, we kind of rolled out gradually. And what we did is that, you know, I said that we pushed really hard in these two directions. So I think it also, it didn't fully reflect who we were. So we came back to this established identity and then we sat down with the brand team, we sat down with the design team and sales and, and other key stakeholders and we we kind of brought the brand back a little bit towards like supermetrics we wanted to make sure that it, it reflected who we were so we we added a few more colors i said that it was like purely black red white uh and so we brought in a few more colors uh, as well so that we can create different ad assets and you know have more more flexibility on the website and we did a, a sort of phased and iterative rollout. So I wouldn't even say it was like a big launch. We, we had these six pages and then we kind of rolled over more pages. And then it, it's actually been quite a, a long process because we've had obviously the, the, uh, the work to then align the product with the new brand, um, which was another key piece because you can't have this inconsistent flow of, well, marketing is pushing out this sort of brand, this identity, this sort of copy and, and this tone and then the product is a completely different experience it needs to be a unified experience i think bill mckaitis the former cmo at slack when when i was interviewing him for a podcast i used to run he said that brand is the sum of every single touch point a customer has with you on their journey which i thought was a perfect uh, yeah perfect way to describe brand in in one sentence so this whole thing needs to be unified so we did a lot of work with product in particular and our and product design team. And now we're at a point where we have this really strong base. We, we have, uh, you know, a brand that we know is, is working from a numerical perspective. It's reflecting reflection of who we are today. So it was a, a, a longish process, but completely worth it. And again, in supermetric style, very diligent and very database. And in terms of uh, the switch, uh, I, I'm not, sure uh, how your pricing looks like right now but i've been using supermetrics for like more than five years and uh when i started using it everything was on the website uh with this switch did you hide the pricing or did you also create i don't know contact sales uh forms yeah so in terms of the the go-to-market it, it didn't really change so when i joined supermetrics we were fully self-serve and we got to about five million in revenue uh, in arr without a single salesperson 
Uh, so, you know, for us marketers, we speak a lot about lead gen and demand gen. You can't hide behind a revenue number. Like when you don't have anyone to sell it, marketing needs to be accountable for revenue. So we've always had that kind of demand gen mindset and we've always been driving revenue and that has been primarily through self-serve. As we brought the sales team in, you know, we saw that there was a need for um, companies who had more complex data needs. We were growing our product portfolio to, to more complex uh, solutions. And so we have the sales assisted motion on top. Uh, so we've always had our pricing visible on, on the site, especially obviously for, for self-serve, you need to know how much that's gonna cost. Uh, but then still at the same time, building that sales led motion where it's more custom based pricing. Uh, so uh, that, that in a way didn't change. Um, but the way we kind of packaged and presented that has, uh, has changed. Because I remember, like, uh, I have always advised my clients uh, that they need to use supermetrics, especially for their Google Data Studio stuff. And obviously, uh, every person would Google supermetrics. And they also see your competitors who are bidding on your name. And yes. I'm not even going to give their name. Uh, I just don't <laughs> like that tool. But uh, probably you know who I mean. Uh, and their pricing was... I don't know, 5x more than Supermetrics, uh, and literally it was the same product. And uh, one client told me, look, their pricing is more, they should be better. And I was like, no, it doesn't mean that. And they had this all enterprise uh, focused website. Uh, they package all of their products as if it's an enterprise product. But at the end of the day, it was just overpriced Supermetrics. Uh, and I think this new brand image uh, will also help you to uh, Go, make those tasks go away. Yeah, I think that's an interesting development over time. And I think it happens in every category in that, you know, particularly if you've been around for a long time and, and you've been building this up and you, you see challenger brands come in and they look to do what you're doing or do part of what you're doing and then will compete on price in that it's the same but cheaper. And of course, it's a dangerous strategy and a, a dangerous path to go down and i think one of the the things that you you can't replicate is the overall brand so we spoke about that sum of all the touch points and the overall experience so a brand is not just a marketing thing again it's of course it might be the first touch point could be with something that marketing has created but then it's the onboarding and we have a trial for all our supermetrics products so that you can get to know the products and, and how they work. So there's the onboarding flows, there's the interactions with the support team when you need help, there's all the sort of documentation, tutorials. And then when you're obviously in the sales process and then potentially with your customer success manager as you kind of grow and so forth. So it's really the sum of everything and, and that's hard to replicate. The, the brand is very, very difficult to to copy and that is your own thing. And I think this is why brand building is, is such an important piece of that. And, you know, we were very um, diligent in how we built that brand, listening to our customers, taking their feedback, looking at the data and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, if, if you want to compete on price, you can, I wouldn't advise it, but um, you want to compete on, on other areas, I would say. Fair, fair. And in terms of brand, uh, you mentioned uh, that you have a brand manager uh, and how does uh, the whole marketing team look like? 
yeah, this has changed a lot over time. So when I joined Supermetrics, there was like, what, 25, 30 people in the company. We actually all sat in the same room. The company was so small, we all sat in the same room. There were three people in marketing. I was, I was the fourth to join and we all sat around the same desk. This was pre-pandemic when everybody came to the office every day. And, you know, we could discuss stuff during the morning and by mid-afternoon, you'd have something out. It was a bit of a move fast and break things kind of thing going on and, um, you were doing everything. You'd have your social media hat on in the morning and then uh, after lunch, you'd switch to your product marketing hat then you'd have your content <laughs> marketing hat in the evening and then you'd be looking at your spreadsheets with your sort of performance and, and demand and analytics hat in, in, in the nighttime. So it was fun. It was it was crazy. It was wild. You're, you're pretty tired due to all the mental switching and I, I think you need to be a good generalist uh, when you're join, joining a relatively small early stage startup at that point and now we are over 30 people in the marketing team so the marketing team wow. now is actually bigger than supermetrics was when i joined which has been a huge you know an incredible experience to see that journey and we because we kind of realized as we were growing that a, a lot of us had never worked in a company this size you know when supermetrics grew to like 100 200 250 people i realized this is actually the biggest company i've worked for now it was one of the smallest companies when I joined. And this was when we had the discussion on, we need a CMO, someone who's kind of really knows what it takes to, to run a, a company of this size and, and run a team of this size. And so Gabby joined uh, incredible CMO from, from Groupon. She was Groupon's global CMO based in Dublin. And she kind of helped because we'd had a lot of discussions on how should we grow the team and where should we hire next uh, and, and so now the team has uh, sort of a global base and more, more recently we've got more regionally focused. So different regions across the globe are obviously very different uh, in terms of what are the key objectives for the business, where we see the biggest opportunity. Uh, also from the product side, we need to modify the product for, for different local markets. So uh, we basically move data from marketing platforms to reporting and analytics tools so that you can make better decisions using data as we spoke about earlier that's really why we use data as marketers and in certain regions like asia they have their own set of marketing platforms the own uh, places where they do marketing where they need data from which could be very different to europe and, and north america and so forth mm -hmm. and so now we have global uh, the, the marketing organization has different teams we'd have a global brand team we have a global demand team and performance, product marketing. We have our GOAT team, which is growth, ops, analytics, and tech. And then <laughs> C CX as well. So customer experience, <laughs> this is all about onboarding and uh, customer marketing to, to our base because obviously expansion is, is a huge growth lever for, for all SaaS companies. Uh, and then now we have regional marketers who are looking to grow teams uh, marketing teams in that region. So we have our North America market, we have JPAC, um, and they're both based in market. So we have Jess, who's based in uh, New York on the East Coast, Fiona, who's based in Singapore, which is where we have our JPAC team. Uh, and then we have EMEA, which is also a pretty broad market. And anyone knows EMEA is full of differences. So we actually have four regions within EMEA. So Nordics, UKI, Central and South. And now, particularly as we're heading into a new year, we're going to become even more regionally driven. So I think that's been one very clear change to go from 
you know, a scrappy three, four person team doing everything to having clearly defined teams, clearly defined roles. You don't need to switch your hat so much. Uh, and then really taking more of a regional focus. Um, and of course we have Gabby Asiemo uh, leading us as well. So there's such an interesting story. And when you joined, and when the team was scaling, uh, what were the biggest problems that you faced? Yeah, I think the problem, the, the number one challenge is probably prioritization in terms of we're such a small team. And as a market, you know, there's a million things you could be doing. Like yeah. the, the list is, is never ending. So it's more a case of what do we choose to invest our time in this week and this month? And at that point, we were moving so quickly that I think planning a month in advance was probably about the right time scale. We, we weren't necessarily looking at like, you know, what's the big Q4 plan or what's the H1 uh, plan. Whereas now, you know, <laughs> we're looking a year in advance and Q4, there's obviously a lot of 2024 planning happening right now. So, um, you know, that was the big challenge, just prioritization. Where should we, um, where should we focus? Uh, and we had to be pretty selective in that we made bets on, you know, these are the channels we want to really focus on. Um, we speak a lot now about demand creation and, and demand capture. And at that point, obviously this was five years ago, there was such strong demand for, for the product that we have, and there wasn't as much competition. And we just saw that there was a, a lot of demand we could capture. So we spent a lot of our time focusing on more bottom of funnel plays, particularly as we brought in the sales team. There were actually more marketers than salespeople when I joined, because we had three people in sales when I joined. Um, four in marketing and now they're obviously way bigger than we are but kind of building up that sales-led motion on top of the self-serve funnel figuring out that alignment piece um, we did a lot of search engine marketing and we did a lot of content optimized for search uh, i know you work a lot with with gaetano and he's big on um on search and, and intent and so we found that there's a lot of people searching for things where we can come in and show Supermetrics as a way to solve that problem. Very use case, very long tail search terms, but very high intent. So an example could be um, cost cross-channel budget pacing report for agency. Wow. And so we could build out a template or a content on how agencies could build cross-channel budget pacing reports for managing their monthly client budget. And we could show how you could do that in Sheets or in Looker Studio. And we knew anyone searching for that would get a ton of value from Supermetrics. And then also things like, you know, Facebook ads dashboard in Looker Studio, which is a little more um, high level, but still huge amount of searches. We know obviously people are using Facebook ads in Looker Studio, which is specifically for marketers, uh, which is where we also bring data in that, you know, that's a great fit customer for us. So creating content around this, particularly on blog, uh, video worked as well, uh, a lot of screenshots, how to, uh, and it, it was a great unlock for us. We built a lot of templates around these use cases. So we felt this just makes a lot of sense for us to do it. We could have basically done that all day, every day, which is what we did. Um, obviously we've scaled things up over time. Um, but yeah, kind of just figuring out what makes sense for us to focus on uh, is is the big one. So yeah, prioritization, I would say is the the big challenge we had back then. Yeah, because 
now that I I'm thinking how did I find Supermetrics? Uh, like I remember five years ago, it was on Google Data Studio. I went to this partner apps looking for a LinkedIn connector. Supermetrics was there. Then a uh, couple of years later, when I first joined Cognizant, I actually totally forgot forgot about Supermetrics, and I was trying to export the CSV file from LinkedIn and do do that manually. And then I googled uh, something. There was a recent change on LinkedIn. Uh, the video consumption metrics. I googled that how the video consumption metrics got updated on LinkedIn, something like that. And I saw supermetrics. I was like, you know what? Okay, now I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a great example of this, you know, very uh, specific problem that we will have a solution for. And it's not going to be the most uh, high volume keyword, that's for sure. Uh, but the intent is is very high. So those are exactly the things we focus. So it was low volume, high intent, and we didn't want to fall into the SEO vanity trap of high volume, low intent, which is so tempting when you see yeah. the hockey stick, like look at my organic traffic and then like zero conversion. So we weren't too worried about traffic. We, of course we looked at it, but we're, we were more interested in conversion. And again, when you have a self-serve motion and marketing is responsible for revenue with product, you can't hide behind organic traffic and uh, leads and ebook downloads and so forth so um yeah i i, I think uh, that's a really good example of what we focused on and i think the other big thing that we looked at which again was very unique to us and works well for us was marketplace optimization so you said you found us through the the google data studio connector gallery and yeah. that's unique to our product in that we integrate with all these different marketing platforms and we then connect data into all these reporting and analytics and dashboarding tools. So that's a huge distribution channel um, and acquisition channel for us in terms of new users. So the Google workspace marketplace where we have our Google Sheets add-on, the Data Studio Connector Gallery on the, the destination side, uh, BigQuery Marketplace, Excel, Power BI and so forth. We can tap into the Microsoft distribution network. But then on the data source side, you have things like the HubSpot marketplace, which uh, we were listed on in like 2019 when we built our integration there. So you have all these acquisition channels that, that we tapped into. And we spent a lot of time just optimizing our listings in terms of like we actually experimented with running paid ads and paid traffic to these listing places. Uh, not necessarily our own site. So I don't know if we're the only company in SaaS who's actually buying traffic and not taking it to their own website. Um, so all these things that we did and, and we'd run experiments and tests and, and so forth. So a lot of things, you know, they were just unique to our business model. And we thought this makes sense to, to focus on. This is why I often say that, you know, it's not really about copying what other marketers are doing, but trying to understand why they made these decisions. Because I don't think, you know, if, if you don't have these networks to tap into, that's not really going to work for you. But for us, we spent a lot of time uh, on that as well. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a great example of being a generalist. Like, you not only just think the paid as uh, in terms of search, but also you think about the whole content journey, you think about the partner marketing. And uh, you also mentioned that while Spermetics was growing, you had to be generous. Like, you had to wear a lot of hats. Uh, and... Also, looking at your uh, LinkedIn profile, I saw that you were a copywriter, project manager, and you actually had a lot of different titles. Uh, how did that shift happen? And yeah. how did you end up as a marketeer? 
Yeah, this is a good question. I guess I've always been interested in everything, even in school. I, I was kind of, you know, doing uh, like to study a lot of different subjects. When I played, I love sports, but I always play all different kinds of sports. I'd have like four or five going on at once. Uh, and same thing when I got into my career, that especially early on, I wasn't necessarily sure what I wanted to do. But one of the things that really got me into copy and, and language and creation at first, it was partly a personal decision in that I'm originally from the UK, but I... Long story short, I met a Finnish girl when I was studying at university and ended up moving to Finland after graduating and, uh, you know, it all worked out still together, married, kids, all that. So <laughs> totally worked out. But the thing is, I, I moved to Finland, which was a country I didn't really know too much about. I've obviously visited a couple of times um, before making the move. But Finnish is, if any of you are aware, is it, it's a pretty complex language, but it's totally different to any other language. Uh, which is why I think it's it's so complicated and, and difficult for, for foreigners to learn. And I was thinking, you know, how am I going to learn Finnish, you know, and be able to work proficiently? Like, I need to ramp that up so quickly. But obviously, Finland is a relatively small market. There was a lot of global businesses. And for them to grow, they need to expand internationally. And I quickly realized, actually, I shouldn't necessarily, of course, I wanted to learn Finnish to speak socially with, with uh, like my, my girlfriend and our wife's family and so forth. But I actually realized it's much better to just improve my English because English is a very high demand uh, skill in, in, in fin Finland. And then being native, I thought that was something I could build on top of. So in school, I was, you know, even though I enjoyed doing everything, I always leaned slightly more towards the math science. Uh, I, did, I have an economics undergrad. And so I kind of went from, from this math science economics guy to being the, the language, the copy, the English uh, marketing guy. And, uh, I actually started teaching English as a part-time job when studying and I spent a lot of time improving my own English because again it's something I hadn't paid too much attention to but I realized this could be a key to, to kind of unlock my career here in Finland and, and go international and uh, I ended up joining a relatively small digital agency and uh, was focusing on on copy creating a lot of content uh, and for me that was again like a, a great learning um, and very useful as I eventually went into marketing and still, while I, I preach a lot about the importance of copy, I think, you know, at the end of the day, as a marketer, you need to create something and you'll probably yeah. write something. And, and so having good copy skills is is critical, whether it's an, an ad, whether it's an email subject line, whether it's a headline, um, it's super, super important. And when I was in the digital agency, I also thought it was a good opportunity to try a lot of different things. So I was, as you said, I started off um, on a project team, project teams as the one creating the copy then I was managing teams working with customers I then moved into sales I did like a couple of years in sales working with the company's big accounts growing those making sure they're happy we were working on the company strategy at that point and I was doing marketing as well so I got to try all these different areas of business I was hiring so bringing people into the company and into my team as well and thinking you know maybe HR people up talent acquisition it was all very interesting but I think marketing was the one love I had and then I ended up um, kind of pursuing a role specifically in marketing. So that's kind of how I, I ended up in marketing. And, and it was, again, partly due to my own personal decisions and moving to Finland and realizing I should actually just start improving my English. It's such an interesting story. And like when you put it like that, everything makes sense. Like the whole journey makes a lot of sense. And actually the whole growth of of diplomatics also makes sense. Like, okay, you hit a lot of heads and you just applied all of the previous knowledge to diplomatics. 
Yeah. And uh, yeah, how it, did you join Supermessage? Is it your first marketing experience or uh, were you a marketer before you joined there? No, so I, uh, so from the agency, I ended up moving into an up and coming technology company here in Helsinki. And at this point, this was almost 10 years ago when HubSpot were making a lot of noise around inbound and this kind of shift from, from outbound to inbound digital marketing was, you know, basically the, the number one way to do marketing at that point, it gained a lot of traction by then. And so I learned a huge amount there. Again, it was a relatively small company. I was the second marketer there working with a more senior marketer. So I learned a ton from her. I got into the HubSpot world. I went all in on the certifications, you know, every HubSpot certification. I was like, I'm going to get that. Uh, I was reading everything. I, it, it was that stage when I, when I just went all in, I found it so interesting and I was so passionate about it. And, um, I worked there for, for a couple of years and it was actually the HubSpot user group meetup here in Helsinki. There's like a big, big marketing scene. And that, that, that was pretty big back then. I met the founders of a marketing agency here in Helsinki who had a very good reputation and we, you know, I knew about them and I was following all the people in, in their company as they were one of the, the lead, the first companies to really start educating, uh, at least companies in Finland about this switch from you know, then the switch was outbound to inbound. We kind of speak like now we're on the sort of lead gen to demand gen transition. So this was like old school outbound. Uh, and now then the shift was focusing on creating value, bringing your customers to you uh, and so forth. And they had been working specifically with tech and software uh, and SaaS companies. That was their sweet spot. And they were expanding internationally and they, asked if I would be interested in joining and establishing the international business unit with them and finding uh, other international high growth SaaS companies to work with. So I was like, okay, B2B growth marketing agency specifically for SaaS. This sounds like the dream. And, you know, I was really into tech and, and you know, SaaS was really growing at that point. I, I saw a huge opportunity in terms of specialization and getting into this world. And, and that again was a, a great school because when you work in an agency, you basically work with you know a handful of clients, so four or five clients. So that means you're exposed to say five different companies with five different challenges, with five different customers, with five different ways of doing things. So you're almost five xing your learning because you're doing everything five times. And uh, again, in an agency, there's no, there's nowhere to hide. You you are there because you are gonna deliver results, right? And you're there every month, you're showing what's happened, you're showing where the numbers are going. So it's a great school. I would highly advise and encourage everyone in marketing, if, if you haven't done so, to go and work in an agency. It, it's a great place to go and learn and, and learn quickly. And then from there, I was you know, getting into the SaaS scene here in, in Finland and the Nordics. And I had heard of Supermetrics and the things I assumed they were an American company. I actually genuinely thought they were American. And then someone reached out to me and was like, Actually, our office is right by the main station in, in downtown Helsinki, which was like 15 minutes from my house. I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, and then I ended up meeting um, one of their, th their first marketing hire, um, who's still with the company. He's been here for like seven plus years now, which is crazy. Um, and, you know, he was telling me more about the company. And in Finland as well, all company, uh, company financials are publicly available. So I could actually just go in and see, you know, 
what's their revenue be? Oh. How profitable are they? And I was blown away because at that point, the SaaS model was grow at all costs. It was the golden age of SaaS. It was like pump a huge amount of VC money in, get your 24 month runway, hire a million people, pump a bunch of money into ads, just, you know, fill up the funnel uh, with, with bottom of funnel ad campaigns and so forth. And I was like, this sounds a bit sketchy in my opinion. Like, I'm not sure this is the way to go, but then, you know, they were a really small team. They had grown so like sustainably over time and they were highly profitable. And I thought this could be big. And I was hearing more about the vision and, and where the company was planning to go. I met the team and, you know, incredible international team of people who built this amazing company. The founder, Mikhail, is, you know, really uh, humble, feet on the ground guy and, and uh, really enjoyed discussions with him. And I thought, you know, I have the chance to come in as a relatively early stage team member, one of the, you know, first, first people in the marketing team to build this into potentially something big. And I don't think you get this opportunity too often. And at that point, I'd been in the agency two and a half, three years, and, you know, I'd learned so much, but also there's a limit in terms of your influence in that, you know, you can't really get into discussions with the sales team and align, or you can't have discussions with product and, and so forth. So I thought, you know, it'd be really, really cool to go in-house and actually, you know, be able to impact everything. Uh, and so these pieces all started falling into place at the same time and was able to join Supermetrics, make the switch and yeah, we kind of spoken about that journey as well. So, so that's how I kind of got into marketing and how I found my way to Supermetrics. Awesome. And in terms of the agency background, I had a podcast uh, with Isaac from Usual Gems like a month ago, and he said the exact same thing. When you're in agency, if you work in an agency, you know that, like you learn other stuff, but more importantly, you know that you, uh, no one will be happy. Like your clients no matter what uh, won't be happy. And if you uh, work for an agency for a year and then go in-house, then actually uh, you will see that you can actually make people happy and uh, your outcome will actually mean anything. Uh, and I totally agree. Like I don't have a formal agency background, but I hate my agency and they don't, they never get happy. Uh, but if you go in-house, you can actually make a difference and you can actually uh, show your whole, whole contribution. I think uh, th this is what you did at Supermetrics, which uh, is pretty cool, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, it's been fun, that's for sure. And we spoke about what changed in Supermetrics uh, for the last couple of years, how Supermetrics grown. And uh, if we take a step back, uh, and if you look at the whole marketing uh, landscape in Europe, in the US, in the world, uh, what do you say changed in the last two years in the marketing landscape? Yeah, I think, you know, I spoke about Supermetrics reaching 5 million ARR without a single salesperson. So maybe I was living in a bit of a SaaS bubble, but I think, you know, marketing has always been responsible for, for driving revenue and, and that's the the ultimate objective and you know we spoke a bit about this transition from lead gen to demand gen um maybe you know being in this plg space you kind of forget that on a broader spectrum companies are still looking at things the wrong way and so i think you know when i look at the last couple of years in particular and what are the topics that come up i think one of them is about 
what does marketing own in terms of a number and what is the objective of marketing in terms of what are you driving you know the shift from lead gen to demand gen and i think what's great to see is that more marketers are having this conversation about basically driving revenue and you know any cmo needs to be able to look at things from that perspective because you won't get a seat at the table if you're not looking at marketing from a a, a revenue impact perspective whether you can fully measure and fully attribute things back, especially depending on your sales cycle and the length and, and the touch points and so forth. But I think having this discussion around marketing being a revenue driver and, and getting a seat at the table and actually using data to, to justify that, because I think if you're a marketing leader and you're going to your CFO, you need to speak the language of data. You need to show what marketing is doing, where we're investing money, what we expect to get back, what our forecasts are, predictions, um, and, and how we're impacting and driving the business forward. Because I think marketing is always at the very front in that you are the one putting strategy into practice. You're bringing that story into messaging. Uh, you're setting the expectation. You're reaching new markets. You're helping communicate to, to existing customers about what the next step is and so forth. So for me, I think it's maybe even more the mindset shift uh, of course, there's been changes in, in technologies and, and, and so forth. But I think that's um, that's a big one. And, and then I think, you know, at the heart of that is, is data. And, and I think one shift we've seen as well is the need for a first party data strategy in that what I see a lot of marketers doing. And, you know, we we've spoken to a ton of marketers here at Supermetrics is that data is being kept within specific platforms. And then when you need it, you try and piece things together um whereas you know if you look at the amount of data that is stored within facebook ads within google analytics and you know name whatever platform you want there is a limited amount of data there in terms of what you can look back yeah. on so what what we're seeing is that a lot of the companies growing and those that are being more successful have focused on this first party data strategy by centralizing all that data into a marketing data warehouse and then being able to combine that, particularly from the SaaS segment perspective, combining that with product-based uh, data points so that you can really get an idea of what's happening, what's triggering buying um, buying decisions in, in the onboarding phase, what's working from a marketing perspective. Uh, and so that I think is, is the other key piece that if you're not thinking about a first-party data strategy, you really need to be thinking about that, particularly as we head into 2024, where you see crackdowns on uh, on privacy. And of course, you know, this is a good thing. I think the internet was a bit of a wild west back in the day. You could do anything <laughs> with, with anyone's data. And, and so it's great we have regulation and compliance and so forth. But, you know, looking at the changes in uh, cookies going away in, in terms of pixels uh, and so the way we measure performance is changing as well. And, and I think in order to succeed going forward and to eventually tap into things like MMM, which is making a bit of a comeback right now, you need data for that. Same thing for AI. If you want to get the benefits of AI, you need data. The data is the fuel yeah. um, that, that you need. So that's the other key one, I'd say, uh, in terms of like what's happening on a bigger level. Well... I have so many questions about that, actually, uh, but we are almost out of time. So I'm going to limit myself with two questions. Uh, okay, the first question, uh, the question that I love asking uh, the most. If you had $1 million, 
uh, extra monthly budget, and no no questions will be asked. <laughs> what would you have done with that budget? Yeah, that's a good question. There's there's a lot of things you could do. I I probably pick three right now, just in terms of where we're at. So we've been rethinking a lot about our story and the narrative and and what what our unique point of view is. So I'd love to run some narrative-led messaging tests, particularly across paid social, just to really understand what parts of the messaging are, are working. So we used a lot of qualitative data from our customers and prospects and ideal buyers to, to develop this. But again, going back to the brand test, this I think would be a similar kind of thing, but from a, more from a messaging perspective. Um, another thing where I really see a big opportunity in, and you know where you could invest some extra money if you just had an extra 1 million lying around would be to really think of full funnel demand campaigns, but with very bold out of the box creative. So really thinking almost imagine you had a creative director from a B2C agency come in, what would they say to you as a B2B marketing <laughs> team? Cause I think B2B marketing, you know, we still get so stuck in, in, in focusing on those bottom of funnel, high intent articles around search, which is nothing wrong with that. And it, it generates, top of funnel um, momentum, but think about a really creative story you could tell or a, you know, a disruptive campaign you could build, thinking about things like out of home, um, being in the subway, being on billboards. It'd be very interesting to do something like that and run some sort of brand lift test in a specific geo. So uh, I, don't, I don't know if a million is actually enough for that, but, um, but still that would be another thing. And then I think something more realistic is really digging into LinkedIn thought leader ads. We've done a little testing here and there, um, but I think building a, a, a pretty comprehensive test, again, similar maybe to, to the uh, brand experiment we did, something more systematic. And the other thing we've been speaking about is not just using it to project the voice of, of people from inside Supermetrics, but maybe partners, um, people from, from outside the company who are affiliated with us to see what kind of impact we can get there. Because I think B2B is becoming more human every, every year. And I think this could be a great way to kind of bring bring more of a, a human touch to to advertising. So I think that that's a, a space I'd love to experiment with a little more. So those would be three things where I might put that money. Uh, in the second one, uh, brand lift. I was actually speaking to uh, I was talking the same thing with my team the other day. Uh, what we would have done if we had a software commercial, if we had a TV commercial, because as B2B marketers, we are so stuck with showing our product. Okay, our product might be the best product ever. Uh, it can really help the user. But how come, how, how can we get out of uh, the product as to something bigger? Uh, like if Cognizant had a software commercial, we wouldn't be showing our product in the subway, but then what would, be showing uh but yeah i think that's a really interesting point and uh this is also something that we have been discussing a lot and we just couldn't find uh an answer yet yeah no but i think it's good you're having these discussions for sure i think there's something there and and you know it forces you to think as you said beyond the product you know what is it that we stand for what do we want to talk about um what kind of awareness level campaign could we drive yeah we'll save that one for next year and <clears throat> That would be good. Yeah, uh, definitely. <laughs> and uh, there's one question that we always uh, like to end on. Uh, what one thing would you tell marketers to uh, start, stop and continue doing based on the current landscape? Yeah, so number one, start 
talking more to your customers. I don't think as a marketer you, you can ever talk too much to customers. Most of the, the answers and most of the inputs you need to be successful will come from your customers. Um, so definitely start talking more to them. Stop making decisions without looking at data. We showed that you can make a well-informed decision on brand based on data. So really lean into that. Uh, and then I think the other thing based on what we just spoke about is, is continue experimenting not just maybe on a micro scale with conversion tests and, and so forth on site, but maybe experimenting on a bigger scale with things like out of home or a really creative uh, campaign that takes your messaging um, way higher than, than just the product feature benefits and so forth. So I think those would be my three things. Uh, I definitely agree with actually all of them. <laughs> it would... Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a great episode. And honestly, I learned a lot of uh, new things from you. Well, thanks so much for having me. I've been listening to the podcast um, that you guys have been putting out. So great to, to be here as a guest. This was a lot of fun. Thank you.